All right, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. Today's guest, uh, Jeffrey Camus, we're having him back. Uh, he was so awesome the first time, you know, backed by popular demand. And to talk about his space, I think has a ton of potential and has sold off for reasons not related to business fundamentals, uh, sports betting, casinos, and the gaming space in general. Uh, Jeffrey, welcome back to the show. Hey, Ben, thanks for having me. Back by popular demand. That's a good introduction. It's very pleasing on another day of deluge in the stock market. For sure. And I think, you know, myself included, I, a lot of people have been looking at, you know, the space you cover um, and, you know, have, have a great ETF related to if people want exposure uh, through that. But I figured we'd start talking about uh, Q1 earnings and kind of how the, the gaming space is trending relative to perhaps how some other companies have reported in the general market. Uh, obviously, there's a concern right now about inflation, about the consumer softening. But, you know, from what I've read on some of these companies' transcripts and looking through financials, it seems like sports betting and gaming uh, has been a bit more resistant to it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts just to get us kicked off on how Q earn, what Q1 earnings have gone and what you're looking at for 2022 um, compared to what's maybe happening in, on a more macro level. Yeah, uh, first off, I would start by saying, you know, thanks. Yeah, we run the IBET, IBET ETF, uh, sports betting and gaming ETF. Look, sports betting in 2021 brought in record revenue. Just, just, just sports betting. Did $4.3 billion. It was up 180% from 2020. So it's growing. It's a new industry. The way I view it is inning zero. I tell people this all the time. It's so very new. It's not really understood yet. But there's so many opportunities in the space. Last year, it was New Jersey. We, we didn't even have New York in that number. New York just came on. Uh, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Nevada are the other top states. But overall, gambling revenue, gaming revenue was up a record. It was like $52 billion or something. So it was it it's way beyond any previous high, and now that we have more states, we we have some really cool legalization coming up. Um, you know, we had New York enter, and now we have other states like Massachusetts, Kansas getting legalized. California has a big ballot initiative in November. Texas may be further down the road, and Florida has other you know initiatives too. They have tribal casinos they have to worry about. Now, how were the the Q1 earnings? They were they were mixed but pretty good. All like. Uh, you know, I really thought the positive sign on something like a DraftKings was that their guidance is forward. I, I would say, in, you know, what we're getting in most of the guidance in, let's go in the overall stock market. We're getting bad guidance from a lot of companies. You know, Amazon, they did a death knell to the market. These gambling companies are guiding upward. You know, for the, for the most part, I would say, you know, DraftKings, had, they're like, their forward-looking guidance is excellent. You know, they're looking back to, you know, maybe third or fourth quarter when we start to get football again. Because football is the is the is the linchpin for everything, they're looking for better numbers there. You have companies like Boyd's, right? And we talked about this before. Boyd's is the Fremont Street Casino, and it, they're they're like a company that's actually making money, doing really well, low price to earnings ratio. A company that would you know be in the be in that value play, like uh, you know if um, if Buffett was interested in the space, he would own Boyd's, or he may. It's just that kind of play. So there are a lot of companies and. We need, we need to remember, too, that um, especially in our ETF, I have a lot of focus on foreign companies, uh, companies in Australia, Sweden, London. And the reason that I put so many, you know, such a large weighting on those companies is because those companies are mature. They're actually doing better than the U.S. companies. And a lot of it has to do with they were really smarter. I've talked to a lot of people in the space, you know, who are running companies. I talked to gambling.com a lot. And other, and other companies. Gambling.com is an affiliate business. Essentially, they are changing now. The big change in, in uh, advertising isn't to just go after everybody because people are losing money. It isn't to give 
the three thousand dollar push, you know, to get people in anymore. They're they're really building this the the European way, which was to build affiliate relationships. Meaning, if you have a content site, you'll advertise with them, and they'll have long term partnerships with you. A lot of these companies, some of them last forever. So if you put a client in one of these casino operators, uh, they will they will pay you a percentage of you know of what they get from that client over a period of time, and that's where the business is really shaping into more affiliate relationships because it's such a more profitable business, keeps their overhead down, and it's just a one for one, and it's great for them to get that advertising on those spaces, helps them grow, and that's what I'm seeing the shifts in. I don't, th- I think in the future now you're not going to see as many. You may see a little bit of this push in California, but I don't think we're going to see a lot more of this advertising at all costs, and especially in this environment. I think they're going to be much more clever. They have all these companies who want to build out these content sites so that they can, you know, make money with these affiliates. So why not use them? And that's what we're seeing more of. Yeah, it's interesting to hear internationals approaching it in a smarter way than kind of early innings in the United States. Um, All that said, it seems like domestic's doing pretty well. I mean, you mentioned DraftKings. It seemed like average handle per user was up across pretty much every geography there. Um, So in spite of all that and the aggressive marketing, it seems like things are going decently i mean i guess i'd ask you of the u.s companies which ones do you think are taking the smartest approach in terms of you know toning it down on marketing and trying to think about long-term earning sustainability well i think it's probably i think DraftKings is getting better at to be honest i think pen is pen has a better is doing a better job than DraftKings. they really have a different model and the way that they branched out you know with uh owning like the score which is i think they're do- so what pen's doing better than DraftKings is I think that they have better media relationships. So I think I talked about this on the podcast before. What's super important now is if you have a media company, you're going to have sports wager because it just makes sense because you have the audience right in front of you. And so with Penn, with Barstool, with these, these acquisitions being part of the score, you know, the score is the number one app in Canada. So that kind of fortifies their whole digital media strategy, which is to get you know, they're, they're all, they do sports, they're a sports network as well as their, you know, they're a gambling network. So that strategy of getting, you know, sort of in place or in partnerships with companies that have media is, is much smarter. It's like they're, it's like a better step towards an affiliate program. And so I think they're, they're actually, their strategy is much better. And I think their stock has gotten pounded for no reason. They're just going down together, to be honest. Yeah, I guess zeroing in on Penna, I was actually surprised to hear how much Big Cat and Portnoy came up on the earnings call. Uh, definitely mentioned a lot. It's kind of a competitive advantage for them. And as you, you said, the score, you know, I had no idea how popular they were in Ontario and in parts of Canada. So it, clearly they love both those assets. And, you know, they still have uh, the balance sheet even after doing some of these acquisitions to, to buy back their stock. Um, so, you know, even taking out the media assets, it still kind of seems optically cheap. Um, I, I guess with Penn in general, it, it'd be great to hear you talk more about how the score and, and uh, Barstool maybe benefit some of the sports betting efforts. Like, you know, compare that to, say, BetMGM, which seems to have Jamie Foxx doing a ton of ads. Um, you know, to what extent do you think Penn, for instance, should get a premium uh, multiple because they have the score uh, and Barstool? Because those people are living it. You know, the, it, the, the thing is, you know, when people follow and they, they're an audience, when you're an influencer, so Portnoy really in this space is one of the best influencers, right? Because he has that rabid crowd of followers who love what he's doing, love the sports talk, love their golf references, love the pizza videos, you know, all those things that he does. He has rabid fans. And those fans, if he says, you know, hey, we think you should use this or you should be part of this, they, they'll do it. I mean, that, you know, they're, that's sort of like they're at the church of Dave Portnoy. 
And so he has a lot of power with that group. And I think that's brilliant. Those are brilliant alliances. And that's how you build businesses. You don't go out and just, because I, I think, yeah, Jamie Foxx is great, right? Okay. And he's funny. And they have the other guy who was on Curbview Enthusiasm. He's really funny. The Caesars commercials. But, you know, that's not, we don't have a relationship with him. They, the people who like Portnoy have a relationship with them. That's how they feel about it. And so when you build those integrative, you know, relationships, um, his people trust him. So that's great. That's great branding, great marketing, and great, great partnership. In terms of the score, they're the number one app. They're the number one in Canada. I mean, that's, they're trusted, right? And mm-hmm. so if you go there, you feel trust with what they're doing. You know, ESPN, uh, you know, who Disney company, right? They have done such a poor job that people don't even know what they have. I mean, they really, I mean, they, they have some gambling shows, but it's not as representative as these other companies. It'll be really interesting to see what, you know, Disney ha- is putting their foot in, right, in sports gambling. It'll be really interesting to see how they do it because they're trusted here, right? But but the score is, is, is trusted there. And I think getting into these partnerships with these huge trusted companies and these people are great. It's no different than, you know, these top influencers that are on Instagram that they get to sell products. It's the same concept, really. Yeah, I think it makes a huge difference. And I'm definitely excited about Pangs. I I don't know how much of this is priced into the stock. I mean, looking at the last quarter, it it feels like they really like their own stock at this price. And, you know, with the authorization, they could buy, you know, call it 10 to 12% of the float this year. You know, I I just peaked at the valuation beforehand. I think it's like eight times on an EV to EBITDA basis. Um, You would think, you know, assuming the score and Barcelona can add a lot of growth there, uh, this should fetch a higher multiple. I mean, what's your take on the current valuation? I mean, I think it's down more than the indexes this year. Um, so, so why is it sold off the ways it, it has? And what do you think is being baked into the current valuation? It's just, you know, it's like, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I just want to throw my arms up because it's just not, it's not understood. I think that these ran away. I think that we're doing the pendulum thing like we do in the stock market all the time. You know, we go one way and swung too far up in the pendulum and got way out in front of itself. It's if this thing, this thing should double and a little bit more. I mean, it's so oversold. All these stocks are oversold and heavily shorted. And it's just become a theme. Like it's it's sort of like everyone's on the bandwagon to short these. It's been going on since really October, November of last year. And they have not fared well. If you look at the well, the last, I don't know, 13, 14 months, these stocks have all uh, they're all in the same pattern. If you lay one over the other, regardless of their numbers, they're all falling in line, the same pattern. It's as if, you know, people only trade one sector and that's, that's what's going on. It, it's not really explainable to the numbers at all, but there's, but that's not what the stock market is really. I think why, you know, why it's so important for me to come on and say, Hey, these companies are doing really well. They have good guidance. They're actually recession proof. They're more recession proof than a lot of these other companies. I'll tell you what, if I was in, I w- if I was in an expensive restaurant, I'd much rather be in gambling than expensive restaurants in a recession because people still will gamble. They will still, vices last in recessions. You know, people are going to go still have cocktails. They'll still smoke, you know, and they will bet on sports because it is one of the things in a bad market. People are still getting joy from that. So they're going to do it. So I think when you, th- when you talk about things that will outlast a recession, it'll be, it'll be a vice. And so I think people will still do it because we get a lot of enjoyment and pleasure from watching sports. And then the, the added pleasure of having a little bit of a wager on it uh, adds to it. And I think it's just a misunderstood marketplace. And I think everyone's, you know, kind of biting on the same pill or the same, you know, the same 
sentiment that's out there. It's it's incorrect. But you know, in a market like this, it's perceived as the most risk. But so, yeah, which is strange to me because yeah, I, I feel like Penn directly called that in their call and, and some of the, these other companies did too, right? Like they're not seeing uh, in the numbers, you know, the consumer softening. Um, you know, they it is historically it has been recession resistant. Um, it's definitely strange to see a company beat and then raise on guidance like Penn did and then yeah. the stock trade down from 40 to whatever it is, low 30s today. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, you're getting the, everything's getting sold even even on days, you know, everything's getting sold up. I, I don't think it, it's it's so new. I think it's misunderstood is really what it is. And these companies are doing really well. And I don't know if it's just that they people still think it's illegal or whatever, but it's, you know, these companies are are operating legitimately and, and actually making money. And the other thing is you have to realize to me and I just the consumer, the, the reason people software always will make money. And I was in the software business too. Because the margins are phenomenal. They're sort of widget based. These companies have long-term great margin potential because they're essentially going to develop a customer base. And really, you know, um, most, most people will stay with a regular provider. I know that at the beginning, people will go from one to the other. But when you get familiar, most people are going to stay with one provider. It's just the way we are inherently in nature, kind of our dogma. We, we find something we're comfortable with and we stay with it. That's normal. These guys are going to have all these companies that are doing these apps that have the online potential have so much potential for great margins because the transaction is so incredibly uh, it, it costless for them. You know, So the margins here are great. It's just that it's misunderstood. We're in a tough market anyway. And this is perceived as the most risk, but I think it's actually the reverse. I think these have some of the best margins. They just have to grow up and people have to get used to these companies like they're the old school companies. And that is why, by the way, that the European companies trade are trading a little bit better because they're more like adult companies. But if you look at Penn's numbers, it's it's way in a value range, right? Even for this market, it's it trades at a, a 14 forward or something. And you know, EPS, it's making money, right? This is a good company that's way undervalued right now. Yeah, it's a good uh, you know, what you were saying on margin and, and kind of what the future could look like is a good transition to my next question. I, I was going to ask you what needs to happen in terms of catalysts for this to re-rate. I mean, it could just be the passage of time, but you know, I'm thinking about when are we going to see some of this higher margin activity with, um, you know, call it Barstool Sports app, some of the, the sports book activity that occurs online. Like when will that start showing up in quarterly earnings? Because I think at this point we're pretty nascent. There's a lot being spent on marketing. Um, you know, how long do you think it's going to take in terms of us seeing the show up, margins really improve and earnings improve? I think after we get the California acquisition, but I think as we, if California legalizes, which will be a really interesting state to legalize because there's some different things that are going on in California. But I, I really think that within the next three to six months, we're going to start seeing better and better numbers, but they're going to still be, you know, there's still going to be challenges, right? Because they're still building and they're gaining, act, they're either being acquired or they're, they're making, act, you know, they're acquiring other companies. And so there's consolidations going, you know, like what almost happened with Bally's where there was kind of a buyout. And then we talked a little bit about that uh, pre-show. I think that there's still some doubt in terms of who's going to make it to the big dance, right? Who, who's going to get out of inning zero with their, with their clothes on, not wearing a barrel, you know, out of inning, these first innings or these pre-innings as I call them. So I'm, I really think a lot of these companies are going to start showing profits in the next three to six months. If, you know, if they're not doing it already and they're such a value, but I think what happened is these actually were starting to turn around right into this affordable market. And actually I think they may come out of it as shining stars, 
because they do have the margins. They're going to have the stickiness and people aren't going to stop doing this. And, you know, travel's better. Like um, I'll be in Vegas next weekend. It's packed. It's hard to get in. I mean, it is, it is packed and getting ready for the summer. So the, the in-person casinos are going to do incredibly well going into the summer season. And, you know, travel's booming, even, even though we're hitting this recession, maybe we have this one last gasp of, of air before, you know, before things get worse. But I think travel's booming. These, the physical casinos are going to do really well. And as we get back into football season come September, I think that's when we're going to start seeing really blowout numbers here because you have a full, full year in New York gearing up potentially for there's three or four other states that are becoming legal. So, yeah, that's that's probably the time frame here. Yeah, the, the setup here is super interesting because I can't really think of many other sectors where the next three to six months is going to look materially better than Q1 looked. I mean, honestly, it's the reverse in a lot of other industries. You know, think of retail and some of the other things out there. Um, you, know, you made an interesting point on consolidation and, and some M&A in the space. Um, you know, obviously, that's top of mind with you know Standard Charter and, and uh, Bally's, which we talked about earlier. Um, you know, I know MGM has been out in the market looking at Leo Vegas and a few other assets. Um, what's caught your eye with, with M&A? Like, you know, do you have any companies that or transactions you're excited about? Um, how are you thinking about kind of who the, the players are here and what they're looking to acquire? So the MGM one was good with Leo Vegas. And you had asked me, I think, before we had talked, if we had any changes to the IBET portfolio. Leo Vegas, you know, it went up like 40% on the acquisition news. So we just, we actually just sold Leo Vegas that day because I figured you're in it, you got the best of it. If it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't work out, you won't get the worst of it on the drawdown. And we were happy to get out of it. But that's a, that's a really interesting space for MGM to get into because now they get into the global markets a little bit more. You know, so they're going to acquire a customer base that already exists. It's not, it wasn't a really expensive purchase, but they get into another marketplace now. So it, get, it gives them a better global digital gaming strategy. So it feeds into that. So I think that was a really good acquisition. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think there's some other things that are going on. I do like the idea of, there was the idea of Bally's potentially being bought out. Did you want to talk about that, Ben? Yeah, let's dive into that. Because I, I think among some people I talked to, that was an interesting special situation where the, the very basic thinking seems to be, you know, Standard Chartered was a 22% shareholder, I think still is. Wanted to buy them at 38 bucks a share. The stock is trading for 23. They rejected the offer. So it's kind of like if they decide to do a tender, you, know, you, you should have a, a large return there. Uh, but yeah, but what's your whole read on that situation? Why is it not that simple or is it that simple? Well, and I, so I, first off, I think if I were in this space, I wouldn't be selling like, I mean, it's now, so that is like $17 more than the current stock price, right? I think Bally's is at 21 right now. But, you know, they have, there's, there's a lot of problems because they have the GameSys acquisition where they brought on and they gave a lot of people shares at higher prices. The street target for this stock from analysts is like 56, 60 bucks. So to me, 38 is like the guy's ripping it. I think there's, it's a steal at 38. I mean, you know, if I could raise the equity to buy for 38, they have great opportunities coming in Chicago. You know, GameSys gives them, one of the things that I think is really interesting about what they did with GameSys is that they have all these, you know, that was an acquisition of data and people. Like they got, they understand, they have all these people who are already playing in their, they have a database that they bought from Gansis. That was almost as valuable as anything that Valley's bought. They have not had time yet to really put any of this and make it, you know, creative for them yet. So I think there's so many opportunities they have. The Chicago project with a casino on the waterfront in Chicago, that's amazing. Are you kidding? One of the greatest uh, cities in the world for um, convention planning and convention touring, Chicago, having a Bally's Casino 
on the waterfront down there in Chicago, I think is they have amazing opportunities. And I, I think that as long as they're fine and liquid, there's no reason to do a deal like that. It doesn't make sense. And it would cause problems for GameSys as well as they came on at a much higher price. Yeah, definitely. And I think the market seems to be voting down on the GameSys acquisition, but I agree with you. It probably needs a couple of years to play out or at least a couple of quarters. I mean, I would guess in the in the immediate term, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on what's going to happen because it, it seems like they've committed to doing this 300 to 500 million dollar tender. I mean, that's I think the stock's like a 1.1 billion dollar market cap. So yeah, they're going to take out a percent, a, a large chunk of the float. Like I'm not sure at what price, uh, but it has to be above 21 dollars. I think. I, I mean, what do you think happens in yeah, terms of the tender? Yeah, I'm trying to figure. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, I can't remember if they said something about a Dutch auction or how they were going to do it. Um, I think I think it's smart to take it out, right? I mean, you know, right now at this price, it seems like they're kind of, you know, they want to make it more valuable for the company. But I think it's like a smart strategic thing to take the the shares off the table and make the company more valuable in a way, right? Mm-hmm. And and it sounds I don't like post tender, you'd still want to own, right? Like, you know, I'm, from what I'm hearing, you think this could be 50, 60 bucks a share on fair value. Well, look, absolutely. When you're in when you're in the stock market, one of the signals to get out of the stock is when the when the company's selling your stock. You know, if they're buying it and holding on to it, that I want to be part of that. I don't want to be part of, you know, I want to be an owner. Like, you know, in my in if you have an ETF, you want to be the owner of it. And I'm out, we're in our ETFs because we believe in it, despite what it's done. The same way these people are in their companies. And so if you're if you see them buying the stock back, that's because they like their potential. And I think they know that I think that they know these companies are doing buybacks. You know, I know you wanted to talk a little about that. And you're like, well, why don't they just use the cap? Because they know where these businesses are going to be going. The, mm-hmm. the, the potential and the future in these businesses is incredible because the margins are so good. You know, this is one of the greatest investments on the street that's being overlooked. I mean, why aren't these companies are really, they're software companies with a lot of IT. You know, another really interesting company, by the way, you were going to ask me was, uh, you know, Sports Radar, right? They're actually doing um, essentially like, you know, they're doing all this really cool stuff you know, AI in terms of, you know, setting up different algos for betting and how people are betting. It's, it's really becoming, it's not like you're the old days when you have a bookie and you'd set the line from Vegas. These guys are doing all these live odds that are, that sports radar is being part of where they're coming up with these lines in game lines and all this new, new types of betting. It's really amazing. By the way, you asked me about earnings, some other companies, um, light and wonder, uh, which is, you know, uh, scientific games. They just changed their name. They had great quarter one earnings, 26 uh, per share compared to a loss of last year. So they're they're moving up. Canby also had great earnings this year. So there's some other companies. So I would say, and I meant to talk, mention that earlier, but earnings are good. They're really good. They're much better than, than a lot of other companies. You know, These guys are going to have like margins better than Tesla and Tesla's at 30, 35% margins. So these margins are going to be incredible. We just yep. have to get there. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I guess going back to the topic of capital allocation. I mean, it's, between MGM, Penn, and a couple others, it was you know we're going to do aggressive buybacks this quarter, and then maybe the quarter before that, it was more M and A focused. I mean, I guess when you have a market sell off of this magnitude, right, the stock starts to look more attractive than any company you could acquire, um, which is interesting. Yeah, I did want to ask on Bally's, like, you know, they kind of did both, right? You know, first it's we're going to buy GameSys, and now we're going to uh, try to tender our own stock. On on GameSys, I guess uh, I'm jumping around a bit, but 
I, I wanted to hear more about your thoughts on that acquisition because I, I, you know, iGaming seems a little bit different from traditional sports betting. Um, you know, I, I usually think of that as you know, you log on to a mobile app or a desktop site and you're playing uh, video poker or um, you know, some other type of like roulette type game. Um, what I guess why acquire uh, GameSys as opposed to like you know some other type of company that plays more in sports betting as opposed to iGaming. So the, the, you know, it's funny because I always get confused by this iGaming term too, you know, because I think it's kind of misunderstood. I mean, if you if you look up like what the actual definition is, it's really just any kind of online betting. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think what they, that acquisition was as much about technologies as it was about their database. Because don't forget, Bally's has everything, right? They're, all these companies do all types of play. And so for them, I think a big part of... Um, that's a way, that's like another way to do a customer acquisition, isn't it? And that's what they yep. did. And so the, a big part of that uh, synergy there was getting the database, getting their digital content, getting their, all the background data behind these, you know, the companies. And that's a big part of the business now. I mean, you know, there's gambling, the, uh, you know, we, we think about this space being the operators, right? But there's so many now service companies you know, that have like the CRMs of the space. There's a lot of these different companies that are doing different things, but this data is incredibly valuable. And I think when they look at it, the cost of, you know, they're going to spend, you know, 300 million or 400 million on advertising, where they just can acquire a bunch of, you know, data from a company and, and their players. They're essentially buying the players, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And that does make sense in the context of, you know, the games to CEO immediately became the Bally's. Uh, CEO, like it sounds like the intent behind that was to make it more of a software company as, as opposed to a traditional casino operator. Well, and that's where they have to be because that's where the really fat margins are going to be in the space is, is the people, the, uh, as we saw uh, when there were some releases, a couple of the companies, I think Bally's was one of them that they delayed their New York launch because they had problems with their app. So there were things that, and I, I want to say that that was Bally's. I can't remember right offhand, but you know, there's, whoever has the softwares with the best hooks, it helps. You know, I do think that people will stay fundamentally with one or two different apps, but, but I do think that it was a software acquisition as much because that's, who's going to do the best in this. And they, the real, the, the revolution here is digital. Mm -hmm. So that's where it's headed. Yeah. And, and you, you were mentioning this, you know, it's in, I bet there are a lot of those picks and shovels technology companies and i think a lot of my questions for you are on the traditional casino operators because i'm looking at those and going oh you know they they trade cheap uh, but it, you know there's definitely an argument to be made it's worth paying a little premium for the the picks and shovels of this space which probably have better margins but are more, more likely getting paid by the casinos than by the consumer right yeah that's right they are and but i think that they're interesting nonetheless because they're part of the industry you know and they're actually the ones that are are going to power the innovation like, I think what's really cool about gambling.com is that's the smartest way. I think if you don't have media, so like, you know, Fox, we don't have Fox really in here because they're too diversified. I didn't want Fox, like a big thing in here, but they have all that media. I mean, I think it's still funny that they brought back that USFL. I don't really know how the ratings are, but they brought that back for gambling. That's, yep. I mean, because it's not... Have you watched it yourself, Ben? I know. I, I, when they, they brought it back the first time pre-COVID, I think I watched the first game. But the newest iteration with The Rock as the majority owner, I haven't watched. But I have seen DraftKings trying to uh, throw out a lot of XFL contests. Yeah. No, USFL. 
Oh, you yeah, they, no, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, you were thinking the, the XFL from when they had the the when they got the wrestling promoter had that league, right? That yeah, we have USFL entirely different, it sounds like. But yeah, it's interesting. We now, it seems like I guess we have three now between NFL, XFL, and USFL. Yeah. And then they have something called fan controlled football, which <laughs> Terrell Owens was on there with like Johnny Manziel. It's funny. Like these guys, I think those are, there's different things. That's about like a video game aspect. Like I guess you can call plays. You can tell the players which routes to run or something. But I do think, I do think a lot of these other companies are really interesting. And, and, Gambling.com doesn't has pretty good numbers. They actually made a big acquisition, you know, of a company that you know I know because I know you're a DFS player. But they they acquired Roto News, and they're using it, you know, to help their affiliate business because that's what they do. They're essentially a company that puts players together with casinos. That's their business. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I think we briefly touched on Gambling.com uh, in our in our first podcast, but want to hear way more about it because I'm not familiar with the company. I mean, I. I think it's on the smaller cap side, but it's, it's very, it's tiny. Yeah. yeah it's it, I don't know if it'd be considered micro and the caps have changed so much, but it's small to micro for sure. Gotcha. Yeah. And it, you, know, you mentioned the DFS acquisition. I definitely have heard of, uh, you said Roto news, um, right. but you can so gambling.com sounds like, con- I know nothing about the company. So all the questions I'm going to ask you will be uh, very, you know, trying to understand. So is the business model to be a, a content provider or how, what's the, um, what are so the they have here? Right. So if you go to one of their sites, what they'll do is they bought essentially a bunch of domains. They have something like 30 or 40 sites. They've acquired some sites as well. And they essentially provide content. They're, they acquire trusted sites. I get, Roto News is a, is a monster. You know, they, I had talked to them on the phone a couple of times and we did some interviews. And Roto News is a monster in terms of where it sits with, you know, as far as search and its connectivity, because it's been around for I was that I was still in the fantasy sports industry with my business. Roto News came after me, but they did great. But I was in this in '95 when I had my fantasy sports site, and um, Roto News. I think want I want to say that they were around because I know I played in leagues with those guys. Probably 1998-99 is when they started. So that's you know that's a lot of years being you know building content and building up their link base and and all those things. So. They're definitely a trusted site. People know it. It's a name in the industry. And I think their content's really good and steady. And, they're, and they build pretty much a juggernaut of uh, content. And so that was a good acquisition for them because I, I think the players are similar. The DFS player is, is a sports better. And they're, you know, they're rabid about their sports and their teams. And, and it's kind of the same thing. And I always thought, you know, fantasy sports was a good way before there was legalized gambling to really kind of participate in a similar role. So I think it's very similar players. So I think it was a great acquisition. So yeah, they own 25, 30, some were in that range of sites and they just, and they make all their things on affiliate relationship businesses. Yeah, that, that totally tracks. I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of kind of New York times. I think a lot of people were not so hot on the stock a couple of years ago, but as the story became, okay, we're moving from print to digital a lot of the content is, you know, local and other types of news gated behind subscription paywalls. Uh, yeah. It became clear that, you know, this actually really was a different type of company than people were used to. Yeah, as someone who plays a ton of DFS, I, I pay for a couple websites just because I think the quality of content and analysis you're getting isn't really available by, uh, public facing, not behind a paywall. Um, so yeah, I guess when it comes to gambling.com, it sounds like the readership is mostly folks who are looking for a little bit of an edge uh, when it comes to placing bets. So, or would you say it's a little different than that? No, I think I think they're 
you know, I think they're like the, what, you know, they happens, they happen upon the site or they're, they're regular readers. And I think that they, you know, you'll go and search with like somebody new who wants to get involved in gambling. They'll be like gambling, Arizona. Like they'll search, like, where can I gamble in Arizona? And their site will pop up, you know, and then they'll, yep. if you click on their link, then you'll, they'll set a cookie in your browser or whatever. And they'll know if you signed up and then they have a partnership deal. I, I think most of the stuff they're doing is not based on a membership. It's both based. It is. You're right. It's probably people who want the free content, but want a little bit of an assist. I don't know if they're, uh, what products revenues has to delve deeper into it, or if they sell anything or subscription model at all, but it, it's probably more like the free content model where, you know, they're hoping to raise revenue via advertising, but Hey, one of the largest companies in the world does that. And that's called Google. Yeah. I actually wanted <laughs> to dig into the advertising piece. Cause I thought you were going there. Yeah. You know, we last podcast, I was going to mention IAC and MGM a bit. And I don't know how much we talked around it, but it seems like a lot of what IAC has done recently, you know, they made the Meredith acquisition and they're kind of pairing that with dot dash, basically just acquiring a ton of content sites and throwing advertising in front of it. Um, it, it seems like, you know, why wouldn't MGM do that with gambling.com or, you know, why isn't kind of a lot of these, uh, larger companies, you know, it would be beneficial to acquire something like a gambling.com because now you have more impressions, more eyeballs and all the content. Well, I think they're I think they're trying to put strategic partnerships in place. And I think there's only so many um, assets that are valuable. And I think, you know, that's why I think the pen pens acquisitions have been much smarter. And I think DraftKings needs to do that a little bit more rather than just go after, you know, going after the advertising dollars. I think, you know, building up affiliate relationships, let someone else do the work for you, right? That's 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 a good model. You know, let them, their trusted site be the way you get in you know, that they come in your, in your, in your place. And I think, yeah, I think I'd like to see more of that in the space. And I think that's, what's going to produce better numbers for these companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Honestly, with DraftKings, I'm again, hopping around a bit, but you know, you mentioned the content. It, it seems like they brought in Mike Golick Jr. Like Mike Golick Sr. I just saw that story. Yeah. yeah. They got a few things kicking around there. You know, they've, they've tried is that to a, do Is that no disrespect to him, but is that a big I don't think so. <laughs> I probably I, listened I to Michael's like, radio show like 20, yeah, 10 years ago or whatever. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't think that was like anything that was like a big deal. Like, I mean, it's not, I don't think he has weight. I mean, you know, if you want to bring in somebody like bring in, like, you know, I, I, I heard there was some Drake does a lot of betting apparently. And there was some story about Drake and gambling, bring somebody on, like, that's a real influencer and, and give them some shares, you know, I mean, that's, but I think that they, they haven't done enough of that and they need to bring in more influencers for sure. Cause that's a way you build, you can go after targeted niche audiences, right? Like get, get somebody, do a big partnership with, with a big athlete. That's what we did. There's guys out there that'll be that that want to be part of these things. And I know they do some of it, but they don't have, I think it's hard to get a megawatt like a Portnoy. That was a great acquisition, right? I mean, Portnoy, you know, was involved in another ETF anyway. Right. I did not know that. Is he like in what capacity? You know, I don't know what his deal is, but he was essentially promoting this other ETF called Buzz, which is essentially uh, based on artificial intelligence. And they're essentially um, the ETF. I I do not track it. I do not follow this ETF, but it, they have raised a decent amount of AUM and mostly off Portnoy because this there was a guy actually who had a similar project going and the ETF failed. So, you know, Portnoy can bring the gravitas, if you will, <laughs> to use that word, to, to a space and he can get his people to rally behind it. And I think it's really important. You know, he has a loyal audience. I mean, it's like if, you know, if Howard Stern was into sports gambling, I'd go do a partnership with him. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, it, it does show you the value of acquiring, you know, some of these media companies or influencers. Yeah, I, I did have a question I meant to ask you that one of my friends had uh, told me to ask you, which I think is a good one. You know, if you're buying pen today, and I hear a lot of the same analysis with say like Amazon and AWS, is it fair to say like you're buying pen the casino operator and getting Barstool in the score for free? Or is that maybe too simplistic? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, when you look at that, are you thinking about like the valuation of what all those things are worth? Exactly. Yeah. Some of the parts, I mean, I think the motivation behind that question is, okay, they did whatever record EBITDA in, in a number of their casinos this quarter. Um, and we haven't even really seen the impact. It, it probably is early days on, on Barstool and the score um, and, you know, sports gambling in general. It so the is, idea is like, great. yeah, are yeah, we just it, down to the valuations of the runoff business of the casinos? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, look, where can this stock go? You know, where, where can you throw into? I, I, it's not, you know, infinite, but these, these companies, I would say that they're five and six Xers easily. You know, mm -hmm. you just have to, it's just, you know, even like DraftKings is like uh, when Jason Robbins talks about his stock, he's like, well, we need some things to happen and we need maybe some other companies to, some companies have to be taken out. I mean, they realize what's going on in the space. There, there is going to be consolidations and Penn will be probably acquiring the ones that are on the side because it's in that position too. You know, and I think their model really has been so much better um, than other companies. Hey, one company, one company I wanted to talk to you about because you asked me about it was Tabcorp. Yeah, let's jump into Tabcorp. Yep. You know, I, I wanted to bring up them because I think that they're in an interesting position. So what's big for them, and I know this is a little bit off the gambling. It's not really gambling, but it's lottery business. That's what's a big, that generates a lot of revenue for them. And they're actually going to split up their divisions, which is kind of cool. They're going to split their divisions. So what's happening now is they don't have a great identity, but this company's still doing really well. But what they're essentially going to do is they're going to have a disconnect between the, um, what, what's the word? They're going to kind of um, unmerge. You know, they're going to split these two companies, one that's doing just the gambling side and one that's just handling the lottery business. And so why they're doing that is there's going to, they're going to be a takeout on the lottery business side. And they're going to keep the sports gambling side. And it's probably going to be bought by one of these large funds, right? That's going to buy it. And that's kind of the strategy behind TapCorp. We actually have a really large position and the company does really well. I mean, it's Australia's largest gambling company. They have, mm -hmm. they're, they're a big company. You know, they employ 5,000 people. It's still not, it's not a mega cap, but it's a small to mid cap. But they provide like lotteries and wagering gaming products. But the problem is, is that their, their identity isn't clear because Sorry about that. <laughs> no, good. But their identity isn't clear because they um, they essentially have you know these two divisions. What are they? Are they a lottery company? Or are they really in the sports gaming scene? That's really a volley. So I think what they want to do essentially now, and this is there's a catalyst here. It's kind of an interesting company. Um, the lotter the lotteries and the betting division are going to soon be like I would call it like a demerge, right? And they they're probably going to have two like separate businesses at some point. And, and the, what's going on, if you really read between the lines, is that I think they want to sell off that lottery business. And it's a great business because it has great margins. An M&A kind of, it, it would be one of these, uh, like one of these, like a Blackstone or BlackRock, one of these huge companies. It's something like that, but the Australian version would take it out because they have, you know, they're great in like recessionary times, in economic slowdown, they have great margins. They generate a lot of cash. 
and they, you know, they don't cost a lot to run. So I think they're going to, they're going to probably sell that off. So there's going to be some pump in that stock to catalyst the price up. And I think you're going to get a buyout there and then they're going to run the sports business on, on its own and keep that. So I think that's kind of an interesting company. And I was glad that you asked me about that. Yeah, definitely super interesting story. I didn't know kind of about the plans to divest the lottery business. So let's say they hypothetically do that. I mean, it sounds like it should be fairly high multiple, right? Like stable cash flows. Um, you know, it doesn't sound like too capex intensive. What would they do with the the cash proceeds they got from the lottery business? I don't know. It's interesting. I just think there's more investment in this space. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, it's kind of far down the road to see that happening, but this is coming in. I think it's a story that we'll talk about further on other shows. It's coming towards like June and July when this is going to happen. So it's just, it's it, now is a good time to get in. You know, if you can invest in foreign stocks like Tab, um, yep. you know, Australian stock, I think it's really interesting. Um, so, but I, I'm not sure. I mean, I would guess that they would continue to, to operate with a lot of cash. Yeah, that, that's super interesting. Uh, I mean, how big a contributor is the um, the lottery business? Like, are we talking about, you know, they'd end up with their market cap in cash or, or something substantially smaller than that? No, a, a good portion. I mean, I would say, you know, it's probably probably uh, 40, 50, 55, 60% of, of their business. Interesting. In, in, in terms of the motivator for why they want to sell that business is just not their core competency. Um, they want to be sports betting focused or uh, like, why not keep it? I think it's under, I think they're undervalued because they don't understand. I think it's like, it's uh, confusing. They seem like they're different things, right? Like a lottery business seems different than a sports gambling business. And I think that because they, they believe like their story that they tell is that they're kind of misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Like what are, what are they, you know, cause people think, you know, the lottery business should, is like printing cash. I mean, it's really like just a great cash generating business. And the sports gambling business, we know that there's other struggles and hurdles in that business. So I think that they think of it as a way to, to really raise a lot of, you know, raise a lot of money for that business. So it's mm -hmm. kind of interesting. But I think, you know, look for this to happen probably in June. That's when they're targeting. Yeah, that's definitely near term on the horizon. Um, and you said Australia based? Right. So uh, when we talk about the sports book, is that mainly uh, Australian people on the other end of it or uh, is it, do they play internationally? No, for the most part, most part is Australian. Mm -hmm. And what's the legalization status there? Like, is this substantially there? I mean, United States is so early days, but I have no idea what Australia looks like. Yeah, just like fully legal. You know, there's there's gambling all over. In fact, I'm, I'm actually going to be on a podcast with a guy from Australia and we're going to talk specifically about the, you know, there's several companies that are in the ETF that are just Australian companies, which I think is really kind of fascinating. But yeah, it's a different, culturally, it's different. He had a word for the Australian better. I can't remember the word he used. It was some kind of a local term to describe the Australian better. It was kind of funny. But I, I'll know more about that when, I, when I'm on with you again next time. But yeah, they, sure, have, yeah. Yep. they have several companies and they're all doing fairly well, you know. Um, so I think it's, there's some interesting opportunities there for sure. And people don't, we don't, you'll, you would never hear about a company like that on CNBC. It's never probably ever been mentioned. Yeah. Honestly, I know nothing about uh, what sports betting looks like there. I'm definitely interested to give that podcast a listen once it's out. I, I mean, I think of this as like, what will the United States eventually look like? I mean, for the Australian sports better, are they sticking to sports mainly in Australia or is it kind of like, everything is global, you know, they can bet on any NBA game, you know, we're talking about the NBA playoffs right now, like any prop bet, or is it mostly localized in terms of betting on the home team in Australia? 
it's, I think they can bet on everything, but it's mostly localized, right? Like we can, yeah. I think, I think for one thing, one thing that the world bets on is, is, is football or soccer, right? That's, that's the most common of the sports. In fact, I don't know if you saw the big story yesterday where EA sports has lost the rights to use FIFA. Oh, wow. That, that is a huge story. I've, I've a frequent FIFA or it was a frequent FIFA player in the past. I had no idea. EA didn't have that anymore. Well, the misunderstanding on, um, for EA is everyone always thinks when they think of their sports franchise, everyone thinks Madden. But yep. FIFA's numbers are crazy greater than than um, than Madden. It's the franchise is way bigger because of the global outreach, right? So yeah, you're betting on a lot of soccer and different sports they play, and they're betting on American football too. Yep, awesome. Yeah, uh, definitely. If the if the United States kind of trends that way, I'll be interested to see. Uh, like, yeah, you know, it seems like NFL is kind of the the most popular one here, but uh, interesting that like soccer is uh, in, at least internationally is probably the most bet on sport. Um, yeah, bef- but we've yeah, done bef- NFL has done a great job of making the the broad appeal right by playing the games over in London and Germany and different places and going down to Mexico and all the different places they played. I know they they try to add the games. The teams don't really want to go. They say, oh, we'd like to go, but it's really tough on the scheduling to go go and play those games. Yep. Yeah. Uh, always interested to see, like, on the, I'm a big Patriots fan, so whenever they play in other, uh, other countries, it seems like ripe for a, a trip or something. Uh, but it's always, always fun to see where the NFL ends up putting the teams. Um, did want to ask you, before we wrap up here, on the legalization front, and we touched on this earlier, you know, California, you hear on these earnings calls, like, you know, it would be the fifth largest country if California were a country – and this really is where a lot of the momentum would come in um, for some of the sports betting story. What's the latest on California legalization? Well, it's it's officially been added to the ballot in November. So that's going to be really interesting, right? You have these huge companies like DraftKings and Flutter that are putting tons of money behind their effort. I think what's going to be, you know, and, and the, the opposition is really the Indian reservations, right? So what the Indian reservations are doing are essentially saying, hey, yeah, we think it should be legal, but we want it to be only in locations, right? And they know that that is going to benefit them because they have the places already, right? That would be a boon for them. That's probably not going to happen or some version of it or they'll allow protection like that for a certain period of time. But that's where the push really is. I don't think it's really going to be, is it going to be legalized or not? I think it's going to be what are the parameters of the legalization? And I think Mm -hmm. the challenges are going to be um, I, I mean, they've had the, the Indian reservations have had this to themselves for a while. And I think that they like that, obviously. Right. Those are great, great, um, great amount of money that they're making. But the argument doesn't make sense. And I don't I, I, I seriously doubt that they're going to be able to block it. I think that they're going to give them some relief in some way. But it'd be essential that for like these huge companies like DraftKings that want to make it digitized and have it online where they don't have the presences. Uh, or the presence, you know, in the state. What you'll see if they do that, though, is you're going to see right away, you'll see a bunch of partnerships with NFL teams. You know, yep. all the teams, all the baseball teams, the NBA teams, and the, you know, all, all the professional sports teams will immediately in California have partnerships if they do something like that. But they will anyway, because that that's their best way to get the kiosk to be in the stadium, right? Or to be in a stadium kind of club where maybe you can actually get into the place, you know, every day, even if there isn't a game. But I think yeah, California's coming. It would shock me if it doesn't get um, if it doesn't get approved in some manner because California. I think the bill is really interesting. It's going to give something like fifteen percent of uh, it's like eighty five percent of the revenue or eighty percent is going to go to mental health issues 
of the revenue generated by taxes. So I think that's a great thing. California always needs money. I live in California. I'm going to be sort of somewhat active in this. So as, as it gets ramped up a little bit more and we start to get more into political debates, I'll bring you more on this because I am definitely going to be focused on it. But I think it'll be it's an interesting issue. I'd be shocked if it doesn't pass. And I would think that we'll have legalized gambling in California probably by December or January. Yeah, that, that's way earlier than I expected. I was about to ask, like, do you think Q1 23? And it, it sounds like that that's a good bet. Um, it's interesting you say, like, you know, a lot of the major sports teams who try to incorporate it into that fan experience. Because um, when I think about the history of professional sports and betting, it's like, okay, you had Tim Donahue, you had Pete Rose in <laughs> baseball, like various kind of black marks on, on sports. But it, it sounds like the leagues are becoming a little bit more open to, you know, I, I've seen the betting partnerships. Like I think BetMGM has, has a lot of partnerships with some of the teams. Um, but it, it seems like it could be on the horizon that we actually see when you're at a game, um, there are things that allow you to bet on events in the game. Sure. I think, I think that, I think, well, I mean, I thought, you know, at one point we had Fubo in the, um, Fubo TV was on in the portfolio, but you know, we have, we have since kind of dropped that a long time ago, but Fubo TV is going to have interactive betting on TV. That's what their, their goal is. So in-game betting when you're actually watching the game. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, it's a lot of this has changed and you'd have to go back to, so when I first ran my fantasy sports company, the major league sports, the professional sports didn't like that. I mean, they weren't really even talking about it. And I, I remember, I thought it was a joke in the nineties. I was playing fantasy sports for probably five years before I started my company with stats Inc, which was one of the founders of this kind of business. Uh, the bill James company started out of Chicago and was a stat provider and still is to a lot of the major league teams and, and organizations. And I always thought it was funny, you know, for years, sports illustrated never even covered fantasy sports. They never, they never once said it, you know, it was like in fantasy guys, writers at papers didn't want to write about it because they just thought it was schmaltzy. Like, what is this? And so they, they eventually saw that there's a billion dollar market here of players or multi-billion dollar market that people really like this and they had to change their ways. And then those guys got outvoted to it and left the industry, but we're seeing the same thing with, with sports betting. The um, major league teams realized how much, fantasy sports was how big a part of it was to their market, you know, because it brings people in, it attracts them. It is magnetic. You know, you're watching your game, a meaningless game on a, with a really bad game and you're looking for four more yards of rushing. Yeah. And it's a blowout. The other game's 42 to seven. And you're like, yeah, Derek Henry, just get me four more yards. And they have them on the bench and you're going bananas, but you're watching this boring game for that reason. It's sticky. And they know the gambling is, it makes it sticky. You know, you're waiting. We're watching these tooth and nail because it stickifies the, the event. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen this clip. It's one of my favorites, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth Collinsworth. It's some preseason game, but there's some garbage time safety that causes the line to swing at the very last (laughs) second. And they're trying to contain their excitement, but it's almost kind of faux pas to talk about gambling in the you know in the in-game broadcast not anymore not anymore i think they're i think they're paying bonuses not to mention gambling you know because they talk about it all the time in the games you know it used to be the joke my favorite was the way that the commentary like on monday night football because that was the the big game now is really sunday night i don't know if you if you take the sunday night game is is more the premier game maybe partly because the announcing team but as far as the the houses you know what money they get the sunday night game is the big game usually now Mm -hmm. But they always had that joke, you know, like, oh, that mattered to somebody, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when, you yeah, know yeah. when you have like a meaningless extra point or something. And I was 
I was watching some game the other week and I just, I remember there were two free throws by like Clay Thompson where I was like, oh my God, that's, you know, and it just happens. But these lines are so good, right? That you get a lot of these really close games. I mean, it's very rarely, football has more of a potential level blowout because you can never tell on injuries and the football's oblong and it can go anywhere and it does. But uh, basketball to me, very tough lines. I don't bet a lot of basketball myself, but it's very interesting. But yeah, it's becoming, they, it's all, it's talked about regularly sports gambling now on TV. And so I think it's accepted. They know that, that, that underlines or that, that adds to their paychecks. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thinking about California legal by next year, I mean, so many pro sports teams are there like home games you're going to have to think are different. Like I can't imagine other States wouldn't follow their lead after California legalizes. California is going to do, you know, I, I can't, New York did something like a billion handle in, in the first month. California is going to do that, do that like two, two and a half that in the first month. I mean, it, it's, it, it's going to be incredible just because, you know, all the sports teams right up and down the coast, they're everywhere. Uh, so many opportunities, uh, so much revenue. It, to me, it would be a, a gigantic miss for California not to make it legal next year or this year, I should say in November. Yeah. When that happens, and I think in our first podcast, we briefly talked about this, but we wanted to revisit it. I mean, in New York, in New Jersey, you saw such a crazy rush to offer uh, incentives in terms of we'll match your first $3,000 deposit, make one risk-free bet. And I, I think there were a number of companies that reported and you saw the incentives kind of giving away uh, impacted on, on directly on the income statement. Are we going to see that with California? Just kind of these crazy, you know, open up an account and we'll match your first X thousand dollars. Or, or do you think they've learned the, the first time around from that? Somewhat, but not the same. And I think what you're going to see is You'll see some of that. Maybe you'll get, you're not, I don't think you're going to see the 3000 thing that was going on last year. I think you might see a thousand. Um, that seems to be more the normal effort that they give up. But I think what you're seeing now, they're luring people with these creative bets. Like in the beginning of March Madness, there was this, uh, I think Gonzaga was favored by 18. They were like, you could bet it with no line, you know, up to 50 bucks. So they're going to get people in with those types of things, being more creative. It's like when you don't have a, uh, like when you were a kid and you didn't have a hot dog bun and you just took a wonder piece of wonder bread and you wrapped it around the hot dog, you know, you made it your hot dog. Bun. They're going to be more creative now. I think that they need to, I think the market is saying if we don't want these crazy customer acquisition costs and that's why you've been punished so long. So I think you're going to see more affiliate deals and these affiliate deals are going to go with the major league franchises too. Right. So they're going to be like, we come in, we want X proceeds we want from this. And, and those are the better deals. And you're going you're gonna to see more content deals and affiliate deals and partnerships with media. And I think one of the big ones, what's going to be really interesting, and I still haven't heard who has won the Sunday ticket. So next year will be the last year that AT&T and DirecTV has that Sunday ticket. I think we had heard, the last thing I heard was that Apple was the front runner for that. One of those companies may move into gambling if it's Apple or Amazon who gets that Sunday ticket. And AT&T hasn't done anything with that because AT&T, frankly, is AT&T. You know, they, they haven't, they've done a really bad job. They were so far behind in DirecTV and making that a uh, cutting the cord of DirecTV. They were so far behind in that. And, you know, they're, they're definitely definitively going to lose that product to either Amazon or Apple. And mm -hmm. so it'll be interesting to see one of those media giants getting into the space. Yeah, it totally makes sense to me. I mean, your points on engagement, 
you know, when you get to that garbage time fourth quarter in a blowout game, the only thing that would make you watch is if you had some money on it. Um, so yeah, yeah it, it logically makes sense for a lot of these companies. I mean, Apple and Amazon, which you know, Amazon's playing in advertising now. It's like impressions equal dollars. So your know, gambling's going to help you get more impressions. Absolutely, they have they have the built-in networks, right? They they didn't have to build content motherships. They have it, and if they're going to pay that big licensing for the NFL, they might as well you know throw in some other package and deal and deal with that. And I think I think that's that's where these companies have to be smarter. And again, I think it was a great topic to talk about. Penn being different than DraftKings, you know, DraftKings has their big partnership with Caesars, which is kind of interesting, um, but it doesn't, and it gets them, it gets them in Vegas, right? It gets them in those locations and the brick and mortars without having to be in the brick and mortar business. And that's a, that's actually good for them to do that. But I really think that their partnerships with maybe somebody a little bit bigger than Goalie would be good, you know, to continue to yeah. look for those types of partnerships because they're out there. I just think that they have to, and they and they do have some with certain players, but I think that they need to be more pronounced. Yep. Um, and no disrespect to Mike Golick, but I think DraftKings can reach a little higher than that. Um, yeah, no disrespect. Yeah. No, great. But I mean, I think, yeah, there's more, there's more things out there. People with huge audiences and followers. Maybe they should go after Mr. Beast. I like you know that. Who yeah, he he he's got. They, I know Mr. Beast. Yeah, the YouTube, uh, YouTube star on, <laughs> on Uber Eats. He has all the restaurants. Yeah, my kids turned me out of that. It's funny. Like he has the funniest things. Was, he seems like the greatest guy in the world. Though. He's like the invented like the YouTube philanthropy. Though it's very, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he was like, on I, Rogan actually, and had like a super interesting interview with him. So yeah, big. My, fan I of haven't Mr. heard Beast. it. My son told yeah. me about it, but he seems like a. It's what a great. And he, you know, and I asked my son, I, how did he build up those followers? He's got this crazy number of followers, and he goes. He just kept grinding it for, you know, and he, it's clever. They, they're, but they're putting like hundreds of thousands of dollars in their productions. It's fan. It's fascinating. Hmm. Not, not yeah. even what he's giving away, just the actual production. Of it. Like yep. he had one, I watched one that was really funny where he had a bunch of people staying in a circle for a period of time. And then he made the circle smaller and then he made it smaller. And like, they were going to win. Like, I think then he was like, somebody gets the Tesla, but if you leave the circle, you lose the game. It was, it's really funny. It's yeah. a re really funny show. Yeah, one of the most creative minds out there. Definitely a big fan of Mr. Beast. Um, as sure. always, yeah, as always, Jeffrey, super appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, if people want to invest in iBet or learn more about you, uh, where can they go? Well, you just Google me. You can look up the iBet ETF, um, sports betting and gaming ETF. And I would say that you can look up Inherent Wealth Fund or Jeffrey Camus and, and check it out or drop me a line. But yeah, that's how you reach out to me. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeffrey. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ben.